Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. In the past year, California has created thousands of new units of housing for homeless people living on the streets. The initiative, known as HomeKey, was launched by investing billions of dollars as the pandemic began. It's the fastest expansion of homeless housing in state history, but there are questions about equity, whether it's serving those who need it most, and if the funding to convert hotels, motels, and other kinds of housing for the homeless is sustainable in the long term. That's what's coming up next on Forum, right after the news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. Well, it seems like forever ago, but last June, as the pandemic was tightening its grip on us, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced an initiative he called Home Key. Its goal? Convert thousands of hotel and motel rooms into long-term housing for people living on the streets. In the past year, nearly 6,000 units have been created across the state, able to house more than 8,000 people. Now, Newsom and the legislature want to spend billions more on Home Key, securing and converting more units into housing. And so this hour, we're talking about this statewide effort to address homelessness almost a year into the initiative. We're going to have a whole panel with us throughout the hour, but joining me first is KQED housing reporter Aaron Baldessari, who's been digging into this issue for us. And Aaron, welcome. Hey, Scott. It's great to be here. Good to have you. So let's begin by giving us all a little bit of a context of this. Uh, before the pandemic, there was a homeless crisis for decades, really. Um, describe what was happening, you know, just as 2020 was dawning. I mean, this is something that was very much on certainly mayors and the governor's agenda. Absolutely. You know, homelessness was the crisis in California before the pandemic. And it was the issue for Newsom before the pandemic. California has uh, 161,000 people uh, homeless on any given night uh, in California. It's a quarter of the homeless population in the nation live in California. Half of the nation's unsheltered homeless residents live in California. And this was a top concern among voters, right? So we know that polls for a couple years now have found that homelessness is a huge, is one of the top two concerns among voters. In fact, this year it actually eclipsed traffic and uh, housing affordabilities more generally as the most important issue for likely Bay Area voters. You know, and for Newsom, he made it the sole focus of his State of the State address in 2020. It's really an issue that's followed him since he was mayor of San Francisco. And so, you know, these two things together made California really uniquely positioned to respond when the pandemic hit, particularly with respect to its unsheltered residents. And of course, you you mentioned that cities have been grappling with this for decades now. San Francisco, Oakland, L.A., Sacramento, San Diego, everyone, really. But I'm assuming that there are homeless all over the state. They're just maybe more visible and maybe bigger in numbers and certainly more dense uh, than than than, um, you know, in cities than they are, say, in the Central Valley or more rural or even suburban areas. 
Sure, that's true. But, you know, this is an issue that rural counties have been grappling with. And I think that they had uh, been um, struggling with how to respond to um, homelessness in their communities, um, you know, prior to the pandemic and feeling like maybe uh, all of the state dollars were going to those big cities like San Francisco and Oakland and to LA region. And so I think, you know, when Home Key rolled out uh, in June of last year, there was a real effort paid to make sure that uh, these dollars would be spread throughout the state. So before Home Key uh, in April of 2020, so we're you know about a month into the pandemic, Governor Newsom announces first Project Room Key. Uh, and, and tell us what that initial program was intended to do. Right. So when the pandemic hit, the you know the governor's administration responded very quickly to begin uh, a program that would lease hotel rooms across California. I think the initial goal was fifteen thousand. Um, the idea was to bring seniors and people who are medically vulnerable to COVID inside, so they could shelter in place, uh, and to reduce the capacity of congregate shelters and as you know as well as encampments, because there was a big concern that the uh, coronavirus would spread very rapidly in these congregate settings. And so that was the first um, kind of, uh, you know, California led the nation with this effort. Um, the nation, you know, quickly followed and many other states uh, picked up this model. Um, and California's program was certainly larger than many other states as well. I think the question that arose almost, you know, immediately, you know, in the in the next breath after the the governor announced this program, uh, Project Room Key, was what would happen once the hotels close. And you know, when he announced Room Key, he said that it would be a jumping off point to permanent housing, and that was really followed up in June when when he did announce. Uh, home key. <laughs> <laughs> a little confusing. That's why um, I wanted to of, yeah, sort of roll it all out together. Yeah, yeah. a lot of names there. But uh, basically, the idea was to then actually go ahead and buy some of these hotels that were being used to that were already being used to house people experiencing homelessness. And so uh, that was the intention behind uh, Home Key. Uh, what what ended up happening actually was that most of them were hotel and motel conversions. But there's also single family houses, uh, tiny homes mobile homes. There's a, a new modular construction project in Mountain View. There were some apartment buildings purchased, um, even some former vacation rentals and some office conversions. So we really saw a wide variety of different programs with HomeKey uh, by the time that um, counties and cities and housing authorities began submitting their applications for projects. And, and so this is something that has been going on for the past year. And I think the initial goal was to acquire more than 90 buildings, converting uh, those into housing. How is that going? Well, um, there are 94 sites across the state, um, nearly 6,000 units, and people are, for the most part, moving into the, you know, have moved into those sites. Um, about, uh, you know, that the goal is to actually have mostly permanent, you know, housing in all of those sites. Um, about half of them um will be, you know, are already permanent housing um, or some of them are temporary shelters. Um, and another half of them uh, will have to be used as temporary shelters first before they convert to permanent housing. That's so, KQED. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. <laughs> um, no, you know, just so, you know, there, it, the road to get to permanent housing, I think, as our reporting shows, um, 
is often complicated. Definitely. And we we're, we're going to get into some of those complications. It's KQED housing reporter Aaron Baldessari. Let's broaden the conversation out a bit and bring in Jason Elliott. He is a senior advisor on housing to Governor Gavin Newsom. Jason Elliott, thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Well, pick up where Aaron left off, if you would. And I'm thinking, you know, as this pandemic unfolded, uh, did did you and the administration sort of, you know, that old expression, never let a good crisis go to waste? I mean, there was an opportunity. There was a obviously a need, but there was also an opportunity, right? Yeah, thanks. And, you know, I, I have to give the explanation of home key and room key several times a day. And I will say, I think Aaron did a fantastic job <laughs> of giving a, giving a, a synopsis. So I appreciate that. Um, it's a good question, uh, Scott. Let me just sort of take your listeners back to where we were in the beginning of the pandemic, because it starts to explain some of the context of where we are. Right, uh, March of 2020, if we can sort of go back in time and think back to that crazy, complicated, confusing moment at the beginning of the pandemic where really nobody knew how this coronavirus thing was going to roll out um, and, and, and develop. Uh, you know, at the time, we were gathered in the state emergency operations center uh, with a number of public health experts, doctors and uh, other folks. And we did some modeling that showed, and this was again, when we didn't really know how COVID spread and we didn't really know how deadly it was going to be. Uh, we did some modeling that showed that we had potentially a few weeks to act, and if we didn't act or didn't act sufficiently, uh, that we could lose the lives of uh, more than 25,000 people experiencing homelessness in California because of the way we thought the COVID spread. So we were dealing with a very serious crisis, and we were dealing with a very imminent and urgent crisis. And, and I think your point is a good one, Scott, right? Don't ever let a crisis go to waste. But I will say, in those early days of the pandemic, we were in, we were in emergency response life-saving mode. And that's really what led to Project Roomkey, which was the leasing of hotels, which continues to this day, I should mention. Um, Project Roomkey uh, has in, in total, and this is the leasing of hotels, not the buying, but the leasing of hotels. Uh, we've served 42,000, more than 42,000 people experiencing homelessness in California. That's about a fifth of what we uh, estimate to be California's entire homeless population. So about one out of every five homeless people in California has benefited in some way, shape or form from Project Roomkey. That, that program, in addition to a number of other factors and heroic efforts by outreach workers to get people vaccinated and tested and so forth, has meant that California really has not experienced, thank God, has not experienced uh, the kind of uh, death uh, and, and impact of COVID among the homeless population that we, that we feared. Yeah. So, you know, I think it, it was really responding to a very, very acute crisis at the time and everything that's folded out, unfolded after that has sort of been evolutions of that program. Well, and in some ways it was a perfect fit in the sense that with the pandemic, people weren't traveling as much. There were a lot of hotels and motels that were either closed or empty. Uh, but going forward, well, before we get to going forward, the mm -hmm. money, the money to acquire these bills, as we all know, sure. land, even abandoned land, uh, is not mm -hmm. cheap in most parts of California. So where uh, did the money come from? There was some federal mm -hmm. money at the beginning, right? Yeah, the answer, the answer is that the home key, the first round of home key, which Aaron um, so uh, ably described, it was mostly all uh, coronavirus relief funding from the federal government. And just a, a moment, I, and sorry, before I say that the money that we are proposing now is a mix of federal funds and state general fund. And just for orders of magnitude, uh, the state invested about $846 million in the last round of home key. 
846 million. The governor is now proposing $7 billion for home key. So we're talking about orders of magnitude uh, enhancements on what we can do with this program. And, and just a, a word on cost, because those numbers can sort of seem mind boggling. But let's just talk about cost for a second. Uh, a traditional uh, affordable housing or, or uh, unit set aside for a person experiencing homelessness can very easily range uh, over $550,000, $700,000 to build that new unit. And not just the, the, the money, but the time. You can often be in the process of building that unit for three or four years at best. HomeKey has cut both of those um, cost and time factors down by orders of magnitude. The state the average state, uh, the average state uh, investment in a home key unit has been about one hundred and forty eight thousand dollars in the Bay Area. That's a little higher uh, in some parts of California, like the Central Valley. That's a little bit lower. Is there uh, some the matching? Average, is there some matching funds from the local governments? There, there, there are matching. There were matching requirements in the first round of home key, and it's a little bit complicated. But basically, the state uh, would fund it, the entirety up to the first one hundred thousand dollars. Uh, of a purchase and then local governments would match every dollar above a hundred thousand on a one-to-one -one basis so in a number of places uh, there was no local match required because the cost to buy that unit uh, and rehab it was less than a hundred thousand yeah. dollars and i just compare that a hundred thousand dollars you know or the hundred and fifty thousand i should say to five hundred and fifty thousand dollars which is sort of a traditionally accepted number of how much it costs to build housing but more than that instead of four years we're talking about bringing these units online in six months okay jason i'm going to hold that thought because we have to take a quick break. Uh, Jason Elliott, uh, Senior Counselor to Governor Gavin Newsom, is going to stick around for the hour. We're going to bring in additional guests, and we want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts about this whole project, this plan, this idea. Give us a ring at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Stick around. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour. We're talking about uh, the initiative at the state level to get more homeless folks into permanent housing. It's called, the initiative is called Home Key. We're talking with Jason Elliott, Senior Counselor to Governor Gavin Newsom. Also with us, Aaron Baldessari, who covers housing for KQED and is delving in to examining the first year of this program. And joining us also, Tamika, or I'm sorry, Tamika Moss, who is founder and chief executive of All Home. That's a homeless advocacy group. They've been advising Home Key. And Tamika, welcome. And also joining Thank us, you, Heather. Scott. Also joining us, Heather Hood, vice president uh, of the Northern California Enterprise Community Partners. That's a national nonprofit uh, focusing on increasing the affordable housing supply. Heather, welcome to you as well. Jason, I want to come back to something you were talking about, and that was, you know, sort of uh, cutting the costs and the time that it usually takes for these sorts of projects. And not to take away from the accomplishment at all, but we're talking about 161,000 people in California who are homeless. And I'm sure that's a kind of a rolling number. People move in and out of homelessness. Um, 
and and again, not to take away from home key, but I mean, do you see this as, I mean, you could say this is just a tiny fraction of what's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, how do you scale it up? Sure. Well, look, I mean, by any objective measure, it is a tiny fraction of what's needed. Uh, I think that 6,000 units serving 8,000 people uh, is, is just, is just a start. And as you said, Scott, uh, we've got 161,000 people on any given night experiencing homelessness in California. So it is a drop in the bucket, but it's an important drop in the bucket because it's starting. It's proving a model. It's showing us a path to do things better, to do things more efficiently and effectively. And ultimately, as Aaron's reporting showed this morning, uh, it has set a national model. And President Biden, we're very proud of the fact, has put $5 billion into the American Rescue Plan to expand this program nationwide. So I think there's no arguing the, the, the assertion that 6,000 units is just a fraction of what we need. But I'll tell you, you know, for the 8,000 people who are moving into those units, um, this is literally the difference between life and death. And so, you know, while it's, while it's not nearly as much as we need, uh, it's certainly the most important or one of the most important things that's ever happened in the lives of the folks who are able to benefit uh, from these units and, the, and the, those who love them and care about them. So I, I think, as I, I mentioned before the break, the home key round one was $846 million. We're now proposing $7 billion. So I, I would just sort of respond to your point by completely agreeing and saying it's not enough. What we did last year was not enough. And yeah. now we want to do you know seven or eight times as much. Yeah. Tamika, how do you see this? You've worked uh, on different sides of this. You were the CEO of Hamilton Families, which was a homeless, uh, helping homeless families. You were also, I think, chief of staff to Mayor Libby Schaaf. So you've seen it from the government side. Do you see this as something that is a national model potentially? Is it like what kind of, what, what, where do you, what, what are the pros and cons of things uh, as you see them right now? Well, thank you for the question, Scott. And, and I have to say, I, I really appreciate both Aaron's synopsis and what Jason's been talking about this hour around the fact that this is a start. You know, we have, in my opinion, um, maintained and tolerated uh, our neighbors living outside for decades. And when we were when we were met with a health crisis and a governor and staff who were um, who were willing to take some risks and figure out how to respond quickly and keep uh, our neighbors safe while simultaneously making taking advantage of the opportunities of these vacant hotels and motels, that was a critical step. And I think what was profound about it was what, what All Home has been talking about, which is Project Room Key was really interim housing. It was the first step to bring people off the street quickly, which is a key component to addressing the homelessness crisis. We were able to provide supportive services, uh, meal service, all of those things in partnership, frankly, with the federal government, which tr- prior to this administration had really disinvested in helping jurisdictions across the country address their homelessness crisis really for the last 20 years. So I think that there are key ingredients about home key and room key that can be scaled, that are proven to be working, but it's a, it's a component of the puzzle. The permanent housing that, that home key will now deliver in its acquisition and rehab is another key component of the puzzle. You can't just bring folks in temporarily and not be able to provide permanent homes for folks. And because we have had such a shortage of deeply affordable housing for people with extremely low incomes, 
we have compounded our challenge and those who experience homelessness. When I was working at Hamilton for every family that I would house, three more would become unhoused in the same period of time. So we also have to be looking at prevention, which is the other component, in my opinion, that needs to be uh, this more comprehensive approach. So Home Key and Room Key really introduced ways that we reduce the barriers. We made it faster and cheaper to bring housing online. We brought neighbors inside and provided them an opportunity to heal and and begin to um, resolve some of the trauma that they were experiencing. And we it requires a much more comprehensive strategy. Um, and I think that this is a, a really important first step. Well, I want to bring in somebody now who uh, can give us sort of a firsthand account of what these programs are like. Uh, Sheldon Cowan is a client of Project Roomkey. Uh, he is currently living at the Motel 6 in San Rafael. And Sheldon, thank you so much for joining us. Well, hello. Let me just begin by asking you, how did you end up living on the streets? Um, well, let's see. I was uh, I was a private music teacher for about... 10 years, and then uh, some of my students dropped off. I started waiting tables, still had a couple of students. And then in uh, 2019, in the summer, I, I had been living in Corte Madera, um, renting a room from a guy, and uh, we just had an altercation. Um, he kind of blew it out of proportion and um, filed a restraining order on me, which landed me homeless. And then uh, the sheriff's showed up at my job three times in the same week to serve the restraining order. So I got fired as well. Mm. And, um, and, and this was 2019, just, to, just 2019. Put, yeah. 2019, in July. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I've had alcohol issues my whole life. And, uh, so I handled it pretty badly. I yeah. just, I was in retrospect, maybe a normal person might've lost it for about a week and then pulled themselves up. But I, um, I lapsed into homelessness. And how did you get connected to project room key? Um, well, let's see about two months ago, I was uh, homeless living in a parking center fell and uh, I was really struggling. And, um, so I put myself into a detox it's called Helen Vine here in Marion and, uh, spent a couple of weeks there. And, um, there's a lot more caseworkers helping the homeless people than there ever were before. And so, um, somebody got, somebody, uh, shepherded me in here, one of my caseworkers. And what difference has that made? You've been living now in, in the Motel 6 for a few months? Um, month and a half. Month and a half. What's, what difference has that made for you? It's made a huge difference. Um, there's a host of things that you take for granted when you're, in a house and uh like what everything from a bathroom and a shower to a front door um these types of things can take up a couple hours out of your day you know it's like where am i going to shower where's the bathroom Uh, but to put it simply it's given me uh dignity which has led to stability and i'm uh i'm a lot better off um and so this I mean, is, I'm sorry, go I ahead. Feel, I feel that. safe basically also because uh, homelessness, again, um, there's a lot less police and a lot more uh, homeless outreach people that come out to uh, the places where the homeless people are. And uh, that's how I acquired a couple of caseworkers actually while I was still living on the streets. Hmm. But um, 
but sooner or later, the legal system would have sucked me up because, like I said, I'm an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, once you get on a certain kind of probation with an alcohol stipulation, it's really only a matter of time before you get scooped up and end up in the system. Yeah. Let me so, just... Uh, Stay, stay with us. Don't go. Don't go away, Sheldon. I want to ask um, uh, Jason. Uh, this situation for Sheldon is he's in he's in room key, so it's a temporary situation. So, mm-hmm. how is uh, home key? Like, how does he get connected to home key, and who who gets chosen for home key? So, first of all, let me say, Sheldon, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, you know, for those of us who work in homelessness policy, uh, it can often feel like we don't make any uh, forward movement because, you know, 6,000 units against 161,000 people feels like not a lot. And then we get to hear stories every once in a while from people like Sheldon um, that remind us why this work is so important to recommit ourselves to. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, I won't I won't speak to particularly Sheldon's situation because we've just met now and I don't want to speak about him. Uh, but the, the idea is that every county in California or every community, local community in California is making the decision, Scott, to answer your question about who's moving into home key units. Home key units are only one kind of housing that local governments provide to people exiting homelessness. So you've got folks who can get a Section 8 voucher uh, and, and move into a private apartment if that's something that'll work for them. Uh, you have other uh, formerly homeless clients who are going to need uh, more intensive services, even than what, project, what even what HomeKey can offer. And in some case, folks need uh, really sort of clinical-based settings. So there are a whole different bunch of different kinds of housing. HomeKey housing is just one part of a much broader housing continuum. So in in the case of someone like Sheldon, and again, I won't wouldn't speak to his case particularly, but in the case of someone like Sheldon, he'll continue to stay working with his case manager uh, through the county, through the continuum of care, uh, and find the housing placement that's right for him. And that may be home key, and it may be something else, too, because everybody needs something a little bit different. Yeah. Sheldon Cowan, I want to thank you for uh, sharing your story with us and wish you the best. Hope uh, your life continues to go on this path and uh, into independence and uh, sobriety and all those things. But thank, thank you so much for talking with us. Well, thank you. Glad to glad to pitch in. Thank you. You bet. Well, let me bring back Aaron Baldessari uh, again, housing reporter for KQED. Um, you know, Aaron, for people who are hearing about this for the first time, you might easily they might easily think, "Wow, this is like a silver bullet. This is the greatest thing ever." Uh, but with any big government program, there are always downsides. There are you know disagreements about how well it's working and so on. Based on what you've been hearing, you know, for the past twenty minutes or so, uh, what would you add to that? Yeah, um, thanks for that, um, Scott. Um, you know, I wanted to to just go back to something that Jason said um, about the costs. And, you know, it is true that Home Key appears to be coming in at a lower per unit cost than traditional uh, new construction. And that may well prove out to be true. But we it's a little bit too soon to know fully about the cost. When, when you compare it to new um, construction, you know, we looked at a project in Marin County. It was an office building conversion. And all told, you know, this project is coming in uh, at $750,000 per unit. This is a home key project. And that's because, you know, it's going to need ADA upgrades. It's going to need seismic upgrades. They're going to have to put in walls and bathrooms and kitchenettes to convert this former office building into apartments. Um, and so, you know, it may, you know, 
to give credit where it's due, this project is probably on the high end. Um, you know, another project we looked at in Oakland was 17 uh, single family homes that are, you know, were converted into group homes. They came in at about $102,000 uh, per unit, which is very low considering the high cost of constructing uh, affordable housing. But uh, there is a lot that isn't yet known about uh, some of these projects, which uh, are going to need more additional funding beyond what they got from HomeKey to convert fully to permanent housing. So that's um, one thing. Um, and you know, as far as proving out the model, you know, we don't yet know how this is all going to shake out, right? One of the biggest looming questions for HomeKey is is how these sites are going to be sustained in the long term where is the ongoing funding going to come from to ensure that in you know 10 or 15 years uh me as as a reporter is not writing stories about these projects going bankrupt or uh falling into disrepair because they don't have enough money for ongoing maintenance or that folks are not getting the services that they need and so you know there is no real place for uh there are a few places for um nonprofit service providers for cities, for counties to apply for when they are looking for operation, you know, funding for operations. The state did provide up to two years of operating funding uh, for some projects that needed it. The applicants had to show a five-year plan for how they would pay for operations, but it's not yet clear, you know, what the long-term plan is. And, you know, when I, when I speak to people who are actually operating these home key sites, they say that they're kind of winging it. They don't really know. Hmm. I want to bring in our, our callers, our listeners in a moment, uh, but let me give out the phone number again. It's 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or if you prefer, forum at kqed.org is our email. And I want to, before we get to the, uh, a caller or two, Heather Hood from Northern California Enterprise Community Partners, you uh, your organization focuses on increasing the supply of affordable housing, and it's well known and has been for a long time that California simply hasn't built enough housing of any kind, let alone affordable housing, which is subsidized to meet the demand. And that is part of the problem uh, for the incredibly expensive housing we have, but also the, you know, the delays and the different factors like the uh, environmental laws that are used, the nimbyism. So when you look at something like home key how is it you think that these projects have been able to come online so quickly when we're struggling to get regular housing built and have been for decades hi well thank you that's an excellent question you know we have had such a difficult time getting housing and especially affordable housing um built and by that i i i don't just mean new construction, I mean buying buildings that already have homes that are affordable and making them permanently affordable. These are um, long-term plays. In the pandemic, um, as was said earlier, there were um, buildings that were vacant, whether they were hotels or motels or um, commercial buildings. And so that was a ripe opportunity um, for sellers to make good use of the property and make um, sell them. and for us to get the field and gear to purchase them. So we're very fortunate to have actually had that opportunity. And I think there's a lot more to go. 
And do you share the concerns about the, that Aaron raised about the long-term viability of programs like this? When I mean, right now we have a, depending on how you do the math, a thirty-eight or a seventy-six billion-dollar surplus uh, in Sacramento. Uh, a lot of that is going to be spent, spent, proposed to be spent on housing and these sorts of things. But you know, that money's not going to be around forever. Well, let's back up for a second. What we learned um, in this in this process, where, as Jason said. Um, almost 8,000 people were housed in less than six months, was where there's a will, there really was a way. Um, This was sort of an extraordinary coordination that got people housed amongst people who, you know, you could say there were essential workers, um, you know, just folks who were really heroes, um, who were inventing a a solution um, on the fly. What we were doing as enterprise was providing technical assistance to the jurisdictions and the nonprofit developers who were doing that work. And they learned very, very quickly. We all did. I think there is quite a lot to learn from the first round, and we can take that into the second round to do things much better. I am concerned, of course, um, especially about the operating funds that have been mentioned. Um, you know, Aaron was pointing out that um, only two years of funding was provided for some projects to operate in in the future. We want these solutions to be really durable. We'll be able to attract jurisdictions and affordable housing developers only if they can see that they can succeed. So right. I, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. The, the music is the sign to me that we have to take a short break. So hold that thought. We're going to come back with Heather Hood and Tamika Moss, Aaron Baldessari, and Jason Elliott from the governor's office. Give us a ring if you want to weigh in, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour, and we're talking about one year into HomeKey, uh, the Governor Newsom's initiative to get homeless people into uh, converted hotels and motels uh, for more permanent uh, housing. Joining us, Aaron Baldessari, housing reporter for KQED, Tamika Moss, founder and chief executive of All Home. Also, Heather Hood, vice president of Northern California Enterprise Community Partners, and Jason Elliott, senior counselor to Governor Gavin Newsom, advising him on housing, among other things. Again, I'll give out the number. It's 866-733-6786. Here's a tweet from Michael who says, I'm familiar with supportive housing for the formerly homeless. They include a receptionist, a room to socialize in, and studio apartments with kitchenettes, uh, and of course, a lot of services. And he asks, uh, does home key, do these home key conversions have these features? Tamika? Yes, great question. Um, yes, some of them do. Uh, I, I think the idea that the um, units will be converted to permanent housing does include on-site supportive services and and you know safety measures like the the caller mentioned. I will say I wanted to lift up a point that Jason was making earlier, which is to say 
there are many different types of housing um, that people who are experiencing homelessness need. And what, what I think is an interesting moment in time is for us to really open up um, our thinking around what kinds of housing um, should be available to folks. Not everyone needs that deeply intensive supportive service model like permanent supportive housing. A lot of folks like Sheldon have um, a health crisis and income loss that really just needs deeply affordable housing that they can afford. And so I do think that we that there is a housing continuum, um, modular housing that Santa Clara County brought on through uh, Room Key is interim housing for folks. And they brought on 300 units in six months. Um, the Mountain View project that I think Aaron referenced earlier is an interim family and um, a single adult site with a childcare center and on-site support services. So I, I, I think it's important for the listeners to understand we need to have housing types that are responsive to people's needs and open up our thinking around um, how do we do that at a price point that is affordable. All right, let's bring some of our listeners in. Let's start in San Francisco. And Todd, you're first. Good morning. Hey, yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm a uh, SRO resident of uh, uh, almost a decade, and uh, I live in a uh, I live in a room that's roughly uh, eight by twelve feet, with a sink only and a uh, bathroom and toilet down the hall that I share with other residents and whatnot. And one thing I was wondering is, uh, is there any way to prioritize SRO residents? to get some of these uh, nicer uh amenities that uh that are going on uh with the uh with the project that your guests are talking about and also um I appreciate that your uh, reporters are uh you know looking into uh housing and homelessness and whatnot because I suffered through this for uh several years before I got this place um however they don't seem to be they only seem to be scratching the tip of the iceberg of far as far as uh habitability as far as um uh cleanliness and you know uh violence and other things that go on inside mm. of uh, SROs in the tenderloin. Yeah. Todd those are great points. Uh Jason let me Jason Elliott, let me bring you in on that because Todd raises a good question. I mean, I, I'm guessing from a government point of view that the main focus of a program like this is to get people who are currently on the streets off the streets and into some kind mm -hmm. of housing. Uh, but, you know, what about somebody like Todd who's living in an SRO in San Francisco? And as you can hear from his description of the room, I mean, I'm sure he'd like to live in a, a converted hotel or motel room with his own bathroom and everything else. So how, sure. how do you prioritize these kinds of cases? Or who sure. and who does who prioritizes? Yeah, thanks, sir. Thanks for the the leading question because you you anticipated my answer and thank thank you, Todd, for the question. Uh, the answer, Scott, is that the local community leaders, the local governments, in this case, the city and county of San Francisco, uh, will be making decisions about uh, how to prioritize that caseload and make sure that um, individuals like Todd end up in um, the least restrictive but most uh, supportive setting that's going to work for uh, for any individual and you know in, in some cases and again i you know i never want to armchair diagnose what any individual may need so i i certainly take todd at his word um that perhaps a, an sro isn't the the right place for him but it, again just going back to something that tamika mentioned and, and i said earlier 
Every individual needs something a little different. Uh, and in the case of HomeKey, as we roll out HomeKey round two and bring online hopefully tens of thousands of more units, uh, there's something that we're going to be focusing on uh, that, uh, in fact, HomeKey round one did not include. And so we're evolving the program. And what we're going to focus on in HomeKey round two are, are building a whole bunch more units uh, that are, you know, in sort of what we call clinically enhanced. So these are units for people who are suffering from very severe behavioral health issues uh, or addiction issues uh, and really do need a much higher level of care. You know, in the, in the sort of parlance of, of wonkery here, we talk about them as board and care units or adult residential facilities, but places uh, for, for, um, for people who need a lot more help than perhaps what they can receive in an SRO uh, like Todd or even in a home key unit. Look, in the, in the 1960s and 70s, um, this state and many states around the country dismantled our community base, our mental health system. And there was a promise of creating community-based mental health where people could heal in their communities. But no one, not California, not really anyone else around the country built that housing for people under conservatorship, for people needing that help, for people with really serious behavioral health issues. We're looking to build a lot of that housing with home key round two. And in fact, we've prioritized $3.5 billion of next year's spending specifically to create these kinds of units. So while Todd and folks like Todd may want to move into a home key unit, there's a whole other population of people who really need something much more, um, much more enhanced uh, to be able to be yeah. successful. And so we want to make sure we're building that too. Tamika, what would you add to Todd's uh, point and people like him who are living in SROs? Maybe they're not happy, understandably, with the situation they're in, but this this idea of prioritizing, uh, how, how do city officials, county officials think about this? or how, And how well, should they I, think I, about it? I think it's a great question. I um, was a social worker uh, in my early days in San Francisco with the Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation, working with folks who were living in SROs. And you know, that is a form of, of stable and permanent housing in San Francisco. And so I think what we have to do is not make these false choices about what's more important. If there are ha habitability issues or quality of housing issues, we need as a community to address those. But we also have an imperative to sort of the life and health and safety of our neighbors who are currently unhoused. And bringing those folks indoors as quickly as possible limits their exposure to uh, deteriorating health outcomes and the trauma of, of being unhoused. And so I, I don't think it's choosing one or the other. And this is some of the work, Scott, that we are doing at All Home, which is to say we need to be making simultaneous investments in an ongoing, um, in an ongoing fashion in solutions that we, not, we know work. We know interim housing works. We know permanent supportive housing works. We know people can be successful in um, living in their own homes and paying their rent that they can afford. All of those need to be invested in in order to address the population level reductions in homelessness. We can't do public policy where we're forcing choices one or the other, and we have to resource them all, right? And that's been another struggle. But I think in this moment in time, as Jason has articulated, we have a lot more resources than we ever have before to be strategic about simultaneous investments in prevention, interim housing, and permanent housing to really be able to make a difference in our communities. All right, Todd, thanks so much for the call. Best of luck to you, and thanks for sharing your situation with us. Here's a comment from Libby who writes... If the homeless advocates really want to solve the problem, they need to be honest and quit denying the issues of criminality, drug addiction, and mental illness, which may 
all be interconnected or singularly causing an individual struggle to maintain housing. I think we talked about that a moment ago. Because we, the public, see it with our eyes, quit lying to us, the taxpayers, about it being solely an issue of affordable housing. And Jason Elliott, you've worked at the city level and now at the state level. I know you were chief of staff to, I think, two or three mayors in San Francisco, including the current one for a time. Uh, I think anyone who works in this field knows that you have to be thinking about the whole person. It's not just about affordable housing. It's about what needs do people living on the streets or even in housing who have addiction and mental health problems, right? Right. And, you know, I, to, to the caller's question or to the, to the listener's question, you know, I think we have to be really careful about talking about people as criminals, right? When it comes to people experiencing homelessness. Look, I, I think no one is born um, with a desire to be homeless. Something happens in their life and, and they end up in that place. And for a lot of um, folks, the, those things can be childhood traumas uh, or addiction or behavioral health um, concerns that are not addressed uh, by the system. And look, I think uh, it is certainly unacceptable what we're seeing on the streets uh, in terms of encampments and drug use and so forth. It's, it's simply unacceptable. Um, but the unacceptability of the state of California's um, sort of streets doesn't mean that we should criminalize people for being homeless. I think there's a really important line that we have to be very careful uh, to walk there. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, look, if there is someone who is suffering from a broken leg, we in America know how to treat a broken leg. You go to the hospital, you get the leg set, you know, <laughs> insurance issues notwithstanding, but we don't do the same kind of thing for behavioral health challenges. And when people have those behavioral health challenges early in life as, as children, those adverse childhood experiences can follow them uh, for the rest of their life and, and are indicators, statistical indicators of, of homelessness in the future. So I think we have to be both empathetic and sympathetic to the situations that people find themselves in. But also we, we're not going to accept and the governor doesn't accept the situation on the streets right now. So how we can do both of those things. We can be compassionate, but we can also move people out of encampments because encampments are fundamentally unsafe. Right. It is it is always safer to be indoors than it is to be outdoors for a whole host of reasons. And our responsibility in government is to make sure we have sufficient places to place people uh, that are humane, that are safe and clean and so forth. And that's really the challenge um, that we're accepting here is not only to improve the behavioral health system to give people better outcomes, but also to create that housing so that they have a safer place to live. Aaron, let me bring you back in. Aaron Baldessari, KQED housing reporter. As part of the series, you and your colleagues on the housing desk are, are uh, reporting this week. Uh, you looked at other programs. We've been focusing on motels and hotel rooms, uh, but you've been looking at, for example, uh, a project in Mountain View. There's also, I believe, a Native American tribe that has gotten funding through this program up in Lake County. Um, just kind of round out the view of Home Key, if you would, and give us a sense of what some of the other kinds of projects uh, are part of it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that made this program really unique and enabled the dollars to move so quickly was that they were really flexible and allowed cities, counties, housing authorities to really tailor those programs to meet the individual needs of their communities. Um, and so, you know, we talked a little bit about that modular housing construction, that, you know, modular project in Mountain View. Um, that is, uh, you know, a temporary shelter. It will not be, you know, permanent housing, but it is filling a need in Mountain View to move people quickly off of the streets and then help them transition to permanent housing. 
Um, these three projects, um, the tribal projects are also unique. Uh, you know, one of them is, uh, is an apartment conversion. They're really responding to the fact that um, homelessness rates among uh, indigenous Americans in California is uh, particularly high. So uh, Native American people experience homelessness at a rate um, disproportionate to their population. Um, and so these sites are really unique in that they're coming from tribal members. So they'll have, um, they're you know, being really supported by the tribe and, and have a more culturally sensitive approach to providing housing than what you might receive from, you know, the, the county or the housing authority in those areas. Um, but, you know, there's also former vacation uh, rentals that are being converted into homeless housing. Uh, in one community in Riverside, um, there are mobile homes that were purchased to provide immigrant farm workers uh, with safe and stable housing uh, for communities that were struggling with, um, uh, you know, sort of substandard housing and lack of access to clean water. Um, so I think that's a really interesting and important project. Um, but they're very varied. Um, you know, there's some projects that are looking at uh, transitional age youth um, or focus particularly on LGBTQ folks. And so coming again, out of foster care, projects, you mean, or just uh, just leaving their homes coming out of foster care, uh, particular, you know, yes, absolutely. There's um, a couple other projects that are uh, focused particularly on college students, um, foster youth who are trying to attend college and struggling with homelessness and affordability. Um, and so there's a lot of really unique projects that really respond to, to unique community needs. Uh, and it'll be, in, you know, they sort of create a natural experiment. So it'll be interesting to see how these pan out. Yeah. All right, let's go back to the phones now. And Linda in San Francisco, you're next. Welcome. Well, I'd like to, um, you know, second what was said by the woman who used to work for TNDC, Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation, and some of the other statements. Um, I formerly worked with Social Security in the Tenderloin at a time when no one was homeless. We had some drug addicts, of course, not like now, because now the city allows them to have all kinds of cash in their hands instead of putting it into housing. We had. I think just to be clear, I think cash, care not cash took care of some of that. But go, go ahead. Yes. Care not cash was an absolutely excellent, you know, Governor Newsom, his his current initiatives about home key and room key are right on target, and so was Care Not Cash. But we have a huge dysfunctional bureaucracy known as uh, homelessness and supportive services that focuses on keeping people homeless while they go through assessment after assessment after assessment and so forth instead of housing them. At my corner where I live, there are 130 SRO units. One of the buildings has been for sale for over a year. The units are for rent empty since the techies left. They rent for under $1,300 a month to techies, you know, with bathrooms and all. Instead, the HSH spends, you know, vastly more in order to keep people in tents. Linda, I'm going to have to stop you there. We're almost at the end of the hour. But let me just uh, ask Heather Hood, uh, as someone who works on, you know, increasing affordable housing, acquiring properties, and so on, what, what takeaways are there from the early uh, months of home key and for that matter project room key that can be applied going forward so that projects and buildings like the one Linda is alluding to there can be you know maybe acquired more quickly and uh, you know cut some of the red tape that has really kept so many of these not just uh, uh, supportive services but even just affordable housing projects from coming online 
Great question. Sure. Well, we have um, 50 different operators who had a lot of lessons learned and can share those with those who the others who will get into the work. Um, for example, they would say things like getting ahead of very unforeseen costs and roadblocks um, and anticipating them would be important. That would take having flexible grants um, and not so many um, persnickety sources. Um, the state was great, but others were a little bit difficult. Um, Folks need additional support in the early stages of um, conceptualizing the projects to ensure success and get these planning and partnerships, um, relationships sort of sturdy uh, before heading into the, some of the really complicated parts. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, I'm sure all of you, we could talk for another hour about all this. It's so complicated and there's so many layers to it. But I want to thank you all very much for a really robust conversation on a very complicated topic. Aaron Baldessari covers housing for KQED and is part of a series looking into uh, Home Key and how it's working. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks also to Tamika Moss, founder and chief executive of All Home. Heather Hood, who we just heard from there from Northern California Enterprise Community Partners. Jason Elliott, senior counselor to Governor Gavin Newsom. Thank you all very much. Thanks, Scott. And thank you also to Sheldon Cowan, who called in earlier from San Rafael for sharing his stories. Thanks so much for listening and stick around because we have another hour of forum coming up with Mina Kim. They're going to be talking about 40 years after the start of the AIDS epidemic. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.